Go ahead and open your Bibles to the passage Luke just read for us. It's Mark chapter 8. And while you're doing that, let me just say hello as well. My name is Rob. I'm one of our teaching pastors of Fellowship. Great to be with you. A wonderful morning we're excited about. Uh, I know we have uh, several visitors here. Maybe you're here uh, because someone you know and love is being baptized, or maybe you're here just to visit. But we are glad that you are here, and we're glad for all of you that call this your home church. We're glad that you're here as well. The text that Luke just read to us is profound, (laughs) and it just sort of slides by as he's reading it. I don't know how much he really took that in, and we're going to go back through it in a few minutes and and really unpack it. But I want to catch you up. If you missed last week, last week there was a a key answer to a question that the Gospel of Mark has been building up to. So we've been in this Gospel now for three or four or five months. It's been quite a while. And the whole first half of the Gospel of Mark, which is essentially where we've been up till now, is revolving around the question, who is Jesus? And then last week we heard the answer. And the answer came from Peter, which is appropriate. Peter's going to go on to be the leader uh, of the early church. And Peter answered it last week, 8, verse 29, you're the Christ. And so last week we said, well, what does that actually mean? Well, Christ means Messiah. What does it mean from a Jewish perspective for Jesus to be Messiah? And you'll remember it means two things. It means that he is their true king and he is their only hope. Their true king, their only hope. Application for you and me from last week, same thing. If you call Jesus Messiah, if you use that title Christ, you're saying Jesus is my true king, not myself, not anybody else is, is, owns me except for Jesus. He's my true king. And it means he's your only hope. He's your only hope of heaven, but he's your only hope for true life even now, beforehand, as we wait for the new heaven and the new earth. So Jesus is our true king. Jesus is our only hope. Now, the second half of the entire gospel of Mark starts right here in the passage that Luke just read, and it revolves around a different question. So the question, who is Jesus, has now been answered. The next question is, well, if he's the Messiah, what kind of Messiah is he? And then I would even say a sub-question under that is, what does it look like to follow him? So what kind of Messiah is he and what does it look like to follow him? So 8 verse 31 through the end of Mark's gospel is going to play out the answer to those questions. And right away, as you heard Luke read, like Jesus starts there, like he, he hits him in the face. It's, all, it's almost like he's been waiting for this moment for them to acknowledge who he is. And then he's like, all right, let's jump in. Let's do this. Here's what this means. You got to be willing to die. You got to be willing to trade in the stuff you think is life for the stuff that actually is life. And you just see the, the confusion in their minds. And of course, you know, Peter puts his foot in his mouth the very minute after he has his greatest moment. And we're going to dig into that. Now, here's why we need this passage. Just like the disciples, the application for us of what does it mean for Jesus to be our Messiah strongly pushes against our instincts, our assumptions, and honestly, our preferences. Let me say that again. The application for us of what it means for Jesus to be our true king, our only hope, our Messiah, will push against our instincts, our assumptions, and in most cases, our preferences. Jesus is teaching a new way, right? And he's essentially saying in this passage is the, the way to life, like the, the real way, the secret of life is so different than anything that any of us would actually choose on our own <laughs> that you need to Follow me in it. You need to come behind me and I will show you how to choose this because it's not something that you would choose on your own. And, and, and I, was, when I was reflecting about this this week. I said, well, that, that sounds hard. That sounds harsh. And it, it's both of those things, right? But here's the key. If he is our true king and our only hope, 
We need to take it seriously because he knows what he's talking about. And if he says, this way to life, even if it looks like death, should we not believe him? And the second thing I started wondering in my mind is, is, well, if you think about it, how is your life currently working out when you're doing it your way? I mean, how's it going for you? Is there anybody in the room that, that would raise their hand? You don't have to do this literally. And would say, like, when, when it comes to, like, going on my own, like, I'm killing it. Like, I, I'm the master of life when it's all up to me. When life revolves around me, my life goes really, really well. <laughs> Which one of us would say that? None of us would say that, right? No, no one in the world would say that. Think about the uh, people that have everything in this whole world as far as material and celebrity and popularity and, you know, all the, all the relationships they want. They're, most of them are a wreck. So how's it going? We need to be led. And we don't like that idea as human beings, but we actually were created to be under authority. We were created to be led, and who better to lead us than our true king and our only hope? So this is why we need the text. It gives us a picture of an upside-down life that's actually right-side up. It gives us a picture of a path that looks like it's leading to death that's actually ultimately leading to to life. And it's the life that is true life. And it's not an easy passage. So I've been praying that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. So let's dig in. I'm going to work fairly quickly. It's going to be a shortened message because I want to leave time for for, uh, the best part of the service this morning, which is going to be our baptisms. Uh, But actually, our baptisms are going to fit beautifully into the text of Scripture. It's wonderful how God actually worked that way out. So here's an overview of where we're going. Two divergent paths and two profound questions. That's a little summary of uh, where we're going in the message this morning. So two divergent paths. Let's talk about that first. The first path is the path of life that actually leads to death. Now let's pick it back up and we'll reread the first uh, three verses that Luke read earlier. And as I read, remember that Peter had just had his greatest moment, right? He just finally got the answer right. You're the Christ. And then this is what happens next, verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself of course, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And by the way, that was the first time that Jesus had ever said that to them of what was going to happen to him. He'll say it many more times to come in the gospel. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I'll pause right here for just a minute and say that word rebuke, it means rebuke. (laughs) In fact, it's the same word in the Greek that Jesus had used earlier when he rebuked demons. It's a word of authority. It's like, get back in your place. And so Peter is saying this to his true king and his only hope. Uh, I lost my place. Uh, 33, here we go. Turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Now you talk about whiplash for Peter. (laughs) I don't know how many of you have ever had this experience. It's like you wake up in the morning, everything's going great. It's like you're nailing it, right? You like, you give your wife a a, a kiss on the way out the door and you like help your kids, you make their lunches and you're like, I'm serving my family. And then, you know, you get to work and somebody says something to you and you just chop their head off, right? Or maybe you've had a great day at work and you get home and the inverse happens. This is whiplash for Peter. It's his greatest moment followed by his worst moment. And this, honestly, he's demonstrating for us the path that looks like it leads to life, but it actually leads to death. Now, Peter's response to what Jesus is saying here helps you see how crazy 
a suffering Messiah sounded to the ears of the Jews. By the way, it still does. Messiah can't suffer. Messiah is the king. Messiah is going to restore everything. Messiah is going to bring back the victory. Messiah is going to defeat the enemies, not be killed by the enemies. Now, Jesus sort of saw even deeper into Peter's heart. He kind of saw past all those assumptions about Messiah. And what he's saying when he says, get behind me, Satan, is he's essentially saying, look, anything that would keep me, Jesus is saying, from going to the cross is ultimately from the enemy. And so then he follows this up. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. He's calling Peter out ultimately on his selfishness. Because think about it from Peter's perspective. He's the right-hand man of the true king. If the king goes down, what happens to his cabinet? They're gone. They're killed. They're deposed. They're out. Right? Peter gets this. So he's saying, you can't suffer. You can't die. That's not the way this is going to end. And Jesus is saying, that is selfish. You're only thinking about your own interests not on God's interest. Jesus is seeing in Peter a shadow that I think we can all identify with. And there's this shadow inside Peter and inside us. And, and here's how you know you're, you're, you're walking in your shadow. The, your shadow always resists any plan of God's that is not to your liking. So God takes you in a circumstance or God like puts something in front of you and you're like, I don't want to go down that path. Right? Your shadow is always going to resist God's will for your life when it's against your liking, particularly when it points to suffering. Y'all, I, I hate to say it and break it to you, and I know y'all know this, but suffering is actually part of God's plan for you as a Christian. And Jesus said to his disciples, like the very last night he had with them, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, take it to the bank. Right? And then, of course, he, he, he comes back with hope. But I've overcome the world, you see. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. Suffering is a part of the deal. This is the path that, that looks like it leads to life. In other words, avoiding suffering, running away from suffering, going the opposite path of hardship, looks like it's life. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way it works. That's actually the path to death. Self-preservation is ironically not the path to true life. So what is? That's where Jesus is going to get to. So we talked about the path of life that leads to death. Now let's talk about the path of death that leads to life. Verse 34 and 35. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now talk about upside down. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, if you want to live, you first have to die. Verse 34, I, I want you to understand it as the thesis statement for this whole passage. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying three things that a disciple must do if they want to follow Jesus. This applies to Peter. This also applies to you and me in, in 2017. He must deny himself. He must take up his cross. He must follow me, Jesus says. So let's break those down really quickly. Deny himself. Don't think about like, I'm giving up desserts for a month or, you know, I, you know, I, I, I used to play video games and now I'm just not anymore so I can read my Bible. That's not the idea, although, you know, that's not a bad thing. But uh, the idea of deny himself is the idea of, of, listen, it's about who controls your life. 
So all of us are sort of born with this inner like, I'm in control, I'm in charge, I've got my dreams, I've got my plans, and, and anyone who thwarts that is my enemy. Like, so we're all just kind of born with this. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you take me off that throne, out of the driver's seat, right? You're de- going to deny yourself. You're going to replace yourself with another authority. That's what's behind this idea of denying yourself. It means that you change your core motivation from self-interest to something new. And we'll get into what that new thing is in a few minutes. Another way to think about it is you're not the center of your universe anymore. That's what it means to deny yourself. And so that's, that's kind of the big one. And then after that, you've got take up his cross. Now, uh, we think of cross as a religious symbol. We wear it around our neck, you know. We see it in various contexts, religious contexts. That's not what it was at this point in history. The, the cross was, you know, in our vernacular, it's the electric chair. You know, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the, the, the corporal, it's a, sorry, not corporal punishment, hopefully not, capital punishment idea of this is execution. So a modern day equivalent would be if I told you, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, go ahead and pick out your gravestone now. Like, that's what's going on here in the context of this. And then the third idea of follow me, what's, I think, compelling about this is Jesus is actually going to live out the two things he just commanded them to do. Deny yourself. It's not about you. Take up your cross. In other words, pick out your tombstone. This is exactly what Jesus is going to do. And he's going to say, follow me in this, and I'll show you how to do this, and I'll even empower you, because you can't do this separate from me. You can't do it apart from me. So the idea of following Jesus without dealing with the own self-interested instinct in your heart, without replacing uh, uh, who's on the throne with someone new, the idea of following Jesus without that would, would be like my daughter telling me, um, you know, Daddy, I, I really want to be exactly like Simone Biles, except I don't like gymnastics. <laughs> I, I don't want to do gymnastics. Or, you know, my other daughter saying, I, I just love Lindsey Sterling, but I don't want to play the violin. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, this is who Jesus was, denied himself. You know, he, he is submitted to the greater authority of his father. He took up his cross and he's saying, follow me in these things. So here's what we have. We have something here that if we're honest, sounds miserable. Can we just say that? Can I just say that as a pastor? <laughs> this sounds terrible. I, if you made a list, Rob, t- tell me how you want your life to go. Like, like burying my cross, tomb, picking out my tombstone, denying myself. None of that's on my list. It's the antithesis of what I really want. I mean, here's the summary of what Jesus is saying. Let's just be honest about this. He's saying, stop trying to control your own life. Go ahead and buy your tombstone now. And whatever life you do have left, spend it imitating a man who will be so misunderstood that he'll be beaten and spat on and publicly executed. Who wants some of that? Here's the big idea. What seems like death is actually real life. If we have ears to hear. And this is the path of death that leads to life. And honestly, if this came out of anybody's mouth other than Jesus, we would all say, that guy's crazy. Like, he needs help. Right? We, we, we'd probably give him a number for a, some kind of psychologist. But it's Jesus. And, and you've confessed. I've confessed. These folks today in the baptismal water are going to confess, he's my true king. He's my only hope. We better take him seriously. Now, Jesus is going to continue here. And we've talked about two divergent paths. Now let's talk about two profound questions. Verses 36, and we'll go to the end of the passage in 38. 
For what does, a prof, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will it give a man, or what will a man give, excuse me, in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is where it gets very interesting, honestly. Jesus is making a value comparison, all right? And on one side of the ledger, he says, is your soul. We'll unpack that in a minute. On the other side of the ledger is the whole world. The whole world. Your soul. And he's saying, guess, what, guess which one's more valuable? This one. Your soul. It doesn't balance. Like, it's not even a fair comparison. It's like the scales go, you got the whole world on one side, you got your soul on the other. Jesus is saying, don't lose your soul chasing after this thing. It's not worth it. It won't pay off. And we're like, all right, I, I, I don't know that I totally get that. I mean, by that, what does soul even mean? Now, we have this idea um, in, our, in our contemporary context that your soul is like just the eternal part of you, you know? Like, I, I thought about Charlie Daniels, devil went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. You know, all that stuff. Uh, get, get that out of your mind a little bit. Yes, you know, it sort of includes the, the, the soul that's going to live forever. But in the Greek, the word is suke. Suke, we would spell it, we would actually, we, we've, we've got it in English as psyche. Your, your psyche. Now, you look up psyche in a dictionary in English, here's what it means. It's the center of human thought, feeling, and motivation. So your psyche, your suke in Greek, which is translated here as soul, is everything inside this body of yours that makes you, you. It's probably better translated. In fact, some translations go this route as life. And, and I would even say your real life, your true life, like what it is that you actually really are longing for out of life, right? Wholeness, true satisfaction, joy, contentment, like, that's what we're talking about here. And eternal life. It's not either or, it's both. That's what's on the line here. So what Jesus is saying is, if you lose your true life, true satisfaction, true joy, true contentment, eternal life even, if you lose that, it doesn't matter how much else you gain. It's going to be valueless to you. I, I like the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this verse. He says, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you? The real you. It's actually a good translation. What good would it do to get everything you think you want and lose you? The real you. Now, I brought in my pocket some bills, but if you probably can't see this in the back. These, these are not U.S. bills. Uh, these are from India. We've got some close friends that live in India, and they visited with us uh, not too long ago, and my girls were fascinated by their money, and they gave us some. Now, I don't actually know how much this is worth. There's a couple of these that actually have 100 on them. I'm guessing that may not be quite like our hundred. <laughs> but, but this is Indian currency. Now imagine that you're over in India and, and you work hard or you, you, know, you come into some inheritance or you, know, you win the Indian lottery. I don't know if they do the lottery in India. Karthi, if you're in the room, could probably tell us. But, but anyway, you come across some money and you become wealthy in Indian currency. I mean, not just a little bit wealthy. You're rolling in it, right? So you know, you're living in like the, the 
Well, I was going to say the Taj Mahal. How funny. <laughs> but you're living it up in India, and they have delicious food, you know, so you probably gain some weight and all this. But you come back, and you bring all your Indian wealth with you, and, and, and you come over here with these bills, and you go into a store, and you're trying to buy something. They're going to look at you like, well, this, you can't buy something with this. This doesn't work here. You're in the United States now. Right? This might as well be monopoly money. So all your wealth doesn't do you any good unless, unless you do what with it? Exchange it. You've got to exchange it. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. He says, listen, listen. If you want true wealth, if you want life that is real life, not, not like a, 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 a fake you know, equivalent of it. If you want life that is real life, satisfaction, contentment, joy, that is sort of the eternal kind of life that starts now in me and goes through eternity in me, then you've got to make an exchange. You've got to be willing to loosen your grip on all the things that you think are valuable in the current kingdom and you've got to exchange them for things that are valuable in your true home, the new kingdom. And by the way, as Jesus is saying, the kingdom of hand is at, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because he's present. It starts now and will be full in eternity. You see, you don't have to wait for that kingdom. If you're in Christ, you're in that kingdom now and it will be in full when Jesus comes back. You've got to be willing to exchange the things you think are life to you in this world and grab a hold of the things that will actually bring life to you in your true home. Now, what are some of the things that we think are life to us in this world? Like, another way to ask this question is, if you could write out the good life, right, the best life, the, the life that you kind of wish you had, or for those of you that feel like you, you have a great life, what, what does that life consist of? You know, all this from a worldly perspective. Here's, here's some lists that I made. Wealth. Right, maybe not all of us want to be super wealthy, but at least enough that we don't have to worry about money. That, that's, that's for sure. Comfort. Right? That's like being free from disease and being comfortable. You know, maybe having a little extra a coin on the side to be able to do some fun things. How about success? You know, whatever it is that your vocation is in life or your family success in all these areas. Entertainment. Right? Because we're not just going to work all day. We want some entertainment. Maybe a, a house that's, that you really like is comfortable for you with the, the right lot. Maybe some land. How about a smooth marriage? That's a part of having a good life. A satisfied sex life. Great vacations, maybe. Kids who turn out well. Comfortable retirement. Maybe a life that extends into old age, you know? Like, you don't want to die young. You know, all, all these things that we would like, like, put in the recipe, you know, stick it in the oven at 350, and it comes out being the good life. We have these conceptions in our minds, and here's what Jesus is saying. This is, this is it, y'all. This is like the point of the passage. You can have all of that and miss real life. In fact, he's actually saying more than that. He's saying if you make any of those things your core, right, the, the center of what you really hope for the most, you will miss real life. Not you might, you will. If you take any of those things I read, or even the conglomeration of all of them, and you make that your core motivation, the thing that drives you the most, you will miss real life. That's what Jesus is saying. And so I'd summarize this whole passage, all of it, 31 all the way down to 38. And he, here's the big idea. Jesus says, the currency that really matters right? What you should put at the core of your life, 
what you should make your greatest ambition to be wealthy in is me, Jesus says. I am your wealth. Follow me. Now, you know, this, this, this just sounds too spiritual. It sounds just, don't, don't just say the answer is Jesus. <laughs> He's always the answer, right? right? Don't just give me Jesus, Rob, or Mark. I would also add this. If that sounds just a little crazy to you, like you're, Rob, you're asking me to like, like trade in all that other stuff. And, and by the way, I don't necessarily mean you, you have to literally sell it all. Maybe God will call you to do that. I don't know. But I'm saying you don't put all that other stuff at the core of your life. You put Jesus at the core of your life. If that sounds a little bit crazy to you, you're actually getting it. You're tracking with me. That's actually good. And let me just say one other thing. This is not just about like putting your trust in Jesus to get you to heaven. Although that's certainly included in it. And that's like the big, the, the big thing that, that, that's most important. But it's not just about that, right? It's about following Jesus now in this life and following him on this path of death that actually leads to life. And all along the way, you're making exchanges of one currency for another. So small little example, just because it's literal currency. What, what Eric talked about earlier with the whole camp in the city thing, those of you that have given to that or will give to that, you're making an exchange. Like you're taking literal money, right? And you're saying, I'm going to exchange this so that the gospel will be proclaimed to a kid or two or three or whatever that have never heard the gospel before. Like that's actually heavenly currency, you know, and I don't have any question in my mind, you know, from a, from a true standpoint that we're, we're going to have opportunities in heaven to be like, you know, you made this investment on earth and, and here's, here's, here's what it looks like for eternity. And it's going to be like, dang, I should have invested more in that. I think a lot of us are going to have that sense. It's not just money, your time, your energy, your effort, your, your heart, your very life, Jesus is saying. You see, you exchange your life for something that's going to be eternal. And then you look at what Jesus did, and not just his death, but like how servant-minded he was his whole life, how he poured himself out, how at the very end he said, look, my very body is food for you. My, my blood being shed is your drink. Now, now that's symbolic, but what he's saying is, like, I am a living Eucharist. And then I'm going to call you to be as well for other people. Now, this brought to mind a, a really famous quotation many of you have heard by, by Jim Elliott, who was a missionary and lost his life many years ago. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is discipling these men in this way. And it's new. It's different. It's fresh. It's hard. None of us would choose it if it was just of our own devices. But praise God, we're not of our own devices. When you trust Christ, you have the Spirit. And you actually have the Spirit of Christ living in you that helps you live this out. And it may sound terrible. It may sound painful. It's actually life. And some of you in this room are living testament, testimony to this. I used to have all this other pursuit in, in core of my life, and I changed what's in the core of my life. And, and now, to the best of my ability, I'm putting Christ and his kingdom at the core of my life. And I actually have a lot better life now than I did then. These are the testimonies in various words and phrases you're about to hear. So when we 
talk about baptism, which is where we're going to shift our service to now. I want you to see that what baptism actually is, is a picture of Mark 8, 31, actually 27 through 36. Let me explain what I mean. Remember this passage. What's the first thing that happens in this passage? Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? I'm going to ask the people in this water in a few minutes, who do you say Jesus is? I'm not going to ask them that literal question, but you're going to hear it. And they're going to make a confession of faith just like Peter did. Peter said, you're the Christ. That's what they're going to say too. In their own words, you know, they've taken some time to write it out. They're going to read it, but you're going to get to hear them make a confession. Then what's going to happen next, right? Well, just like what Peter did with, or Jesus did with Peter. He says, okay, you've confessed me as Messiah. Here's what this means. You've got to die. And for these men and women in the water, that's what's going to happen. They're going to go under the water symbolic of death. Why do we put them under the water? They can't breathe under there, right? If they weren't raised back up, they're dead. They're going to go under the water. We, we, we say it this way. Following, in Jesus, following Jesus in death, right? Through baptism. And then what's going to happen? They're going to be raised to walk in newness of life. This is, in essence, what Jesus is saying. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the whole act of baptism is a picture of identifying with Jesus. It's meant to be a picture that reminds us that the way of Jesus that looks like it leads to death actually leads to life. And so when you see baptism this morning and any other time, you know, you're in a baptism service or you see it or you talk to someone about baptism, even if it's not your baptism, I hope that this picture points you to this reminder that life True life is found in laying your life down with Christ and being raised back up with Christ. It's a sign, baptism is, that points and it says, real life is this way. Follow me, Jesus says. Confess Jesus as your true king and only hope. Follow him by dying to yourself and then you'll be raised and someday literally raised to walk in newness of life. Life that is true life. Pray with me, and then we'll start worshiping with this baptism. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is our Messiah. He really is our true king. He really is our only hope. And that means an awful lot. Um, it means that we're no longer on our own throne. And that's actually really hard. That's really scary for us, and you know that. Uh, you know what it's like to be a human being with the frailness of body, Jesus, and the worries that can come into our minds about relationships and about money and about our health and many other things. And yet, you've taken that life, Jesus, all that it entails and its, its, its fragility and it, everything that makes it hard, and, and you've overcome all those things. And you are willing to submit yourself to those things. And you are willing even to go all the way to the point of death and then be raised back so we could follow you in that. And Father, this is an upside-down way of living from our perspective. And yet in faith, according to your word, we're trusting that it's actually right side up. And I pray for the men and women in this room, um, the ones that have been listening to this text preached to them. I pray that you would actually birth in them a faith that would say, yeah, that's crazy, and I'm going to live it. Right? That doesn't make any sense according to anything in my flesh. It doesn't make sense according to any of my, way my neighbors and my coworkers and even family members are trying to live life. But I, I'm just going to believe this. I, I'm going to take this at the word because he's my true king and he's my only hope. And I pray, Father, that they would just start living into that in, in ways that you will bring to their mind 
their time, their energy, their marriages, their, their parenting, their finances, their neighboring, everything that you would help them see that the true path to life is the path where they lay down their own lives and are raised in newness. And Father, I pray as we celebrate these baptisms that uh, the, the young men, the young women, and, and, and the, the men and women that are going to be up here on this stage, Father, representing this testimony that is true, that you are the Messiah, that you would encourage them, that you would give them life. And we know that you already have done the work of salvation through their confession, and today is symbolic of the life that they have in you. But we praise you for that new life, and we give you thanks for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.